Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Again, that is John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18 this morning. John 1, verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of the living God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear, to bear witness to the light, that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From the law was given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us. And Father, we ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. We pray, Father, that we would hear uh, your word, that we would see your son high and lifted up, and that through your Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us so that we would see, have a word from God and not from man. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So we receive many gifts in our lifetimes. Uh, we receive them for Christmas, like we all did this week, for our, our birthdays, uh, anniversaries, Valentine's Days, you know, uh, so many other occasions we get gifts. Uh, we get gifts. Some of them are quite easy to use and there's no explanation needed. You just pick them up and, and you use them and we know what to do with them. Others require a bit of instruction, like we talked about uh, with the children. They require us to know what they are and how to use them. And as I get older, I find myself asking for more power tools, asking for more things that can cut my finger off and things like that. So I read the instructions pretty carefully so that I don't uh, hurt myself because I am prone to do so. And if we're going to use these gifts uh, that we receive well, we have to know about them. We have to read about them and we have to kind of figure out how to use them. In the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift given to us by the Father. And he's a gift that comes with some explanation. Not an explanation on how to use Jesus, but an explanation of who he is, of what he came to do, and how he accomplished his work. So first, we're going to see who Jesus is. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It draws us back to the first line of the Bible in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
John does this to show us that Jesus' story is firmly rooted in the beginning, before all creation. He roots Jesus' divinity from the very, very beginning of his gospel so that there's no doubt about who Jesus is. John tells us again that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says that the Word, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was here before time, before space, before anything. Jesus has always been here. He's putting Jesus on the level with Jehovah God in Exodus 3.14 when he said, I am who I am. God was saying, I've always been here. John is saying it's the same truth about Jesus. If you look at verse 1 when he says, and the word was, and the word was with God, you could translate that Jesus was face to face with God. He has this close an intimate relationship. These are two different people in a close fellowship from all eternity. This is the connection that the Father and the Son have in the Trinity. They are face to face with each other, sharing love for each other from all eternity past. Then he said the Word was God. The way John says it is that Jesus has everything that it means to be God. Jesus doesn't have anything left out. He's not some lesser God. He's not this smaller thing. Jesus is absolutely, 100%, totally God. That's what John is trying to tell us. In the first verse, John sets up the word, Jesus, as someone that is completely equal with the Father, but distinct from him too. In other words, John is saying that Jesus and God are one essence and three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But John moves on to some further proofs about Jesus' divinity. Look at verse 2. He says that he was in the beginning with God. So John is a Jew, so he writes like a Jew does. Jewish people had a habit in the Bible of writing the same thing in different ways, sometimes the same thing twice. And he would do that for emphasis. He says that Jesus uh, existed before creation with God. And here he does it for a specific purpose. Look at verse 3. He says that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, he's saying the same thing in a couple different ways. He says that there is nothing in all of creation, not a man, not an atom, not an elephant, a shrimp, or an angel, that wasn't created by Jesus. He made everything. Now, we might be thinking the first chapter of Genesis and the Apostles' Creed Uh, that we quote says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, they all have it right. Everything that God does, no matter what it is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they work together to do it all. So to say that the Father created is to take nothing away from the Son or the Spirit. As the Bible tells us in Genesis 1, the Father spoke. In John 1, it says Jesus did it. In Genesis 1-2, it says the Spirit gave it order. They all work together to create everything. The point is that there's never a time when any of them haven't been here. God has always existed, and through His blessed triune will has brought everything into existence. Jesus also, John also says in verse 4 that Jesus was life. The life that John talks about is the life of creation. John is telling us that he is, Jesus is the one that has given life to everything. 
He is the source of life just as the Father is. He's the one that breathed into man and made us alive. The light that John refers to is us being made in the image of God. It's our intelligence. It's our reason. It's our conscience. He says that we've been given that by Jesus. We're able to develop skills. We're able to uh, do crafts and have so, and do so many other things because of what he's given us. But we also have a moral conscience. The Bible says in Romans 1 and Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has written his law on our hearts. There's no excuse for any of us, the Bible tells us, to not believe in God. But then John tells us what we do with that knowledge of God in verse 5 of John chapter 1. He says that the, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome means comprehend, saying that the world shoves it down. Paul says that, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The fact is that every one of us, everyone in all of creation knows that there is a God, but we don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. We shove it down because we would rather stay in our sins. See, God has placed the truth of who Jesus is. And the Bible tells us that in our fallen nature, we refuse to understand it because of our sin, because we desire that more. And this is the Jesus who has come into the world, who has come uh, to be here, the one who has created all things, who is God, who was with God in the beginning, and who has given us the image of God. Have you ever owned something and you didn't know how important it was, or you didn't know how old it was? Maybe it's a piece of jewelry, a book, or a piece of furniture. You were using it however way you saw fit. You didn't really think about it. And then one day you figure out how old it is. Maybe it's your mom, your grandmother, or your grandparents, or someone lets you know how old it is so you take better care of it. Caroline and I have a stool in our house, um, and, it's, and we've had it for, uh, for the two years we've been married. And, you know, I've stood on it. I've used it for whatever we needed it for. I didn't really think about it. And then one day her parents were over, and they said, you know that stool belonged to my great-grandfather? He said, that thing's nearly 100 years old. I take a lot better care of that stool now because I know how important it is, and I know how old it is. And I know if I break it, I can't fix it, and I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. And in the same way, uh, we sometimes don't show the care and the reverence that we should for Jesus because we forget how special he really is. We can kind of go through the routine of our daily lives, and we forget that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the one who created everything. Who Colossians 1 says upholds the universe by his power. We need a fresh reminder of who Jesus is. That he is that maker of heaven and earth. We can treat Jesus like he's a friend that we talk to once in a while. When things get rough and then we forget about him. Someone that doesn't care what we do or, or what we think or how we worship as long as we take that trip to church on Sunday. Beloved, he's God himself. We should not forget who Jesus is. We should read the scripture to find out exactly who Jesus says that he is. It's revealed on every single page of scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We must remember who Jesus is. Secondly, in this passage, uh, we see what Jesus came to do. Look at verses 6 through 13. John tells us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is, of course, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the final prophet of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He has come to be a witness in verse 7. 
Uh, that word for witness is martyr. It shows that John has come to give us testimony of who Jesus is. Verse 7 says that John came to be a witness so that all might believe through Christ. This is what characterizes John the Baptist's ministry. Whenever uh, He is always one that points to Jesus, that shows other people that Jesus is the one who is coming. If you were to go on and read the rest of John chapter 1, you would see that whenever he sees uh, Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sins. And it causes John's disciples to leave him and to go follow Jesus. Later on in John chapter 3 verse 30, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. John is pretty famously someone who is incredibly humble and who always points to Jesus. In verse 8, we find out why. Because John wasn't the light. He was only a witness. John, kinda, John knew exactly who he was and what his job was. It was to tell others about the Messiah. It was to point to the fact that Jesus was coming. It was to fulfill the, book of, the prophecies from Isaiah, Micah, and Malachi, which talked about the one who was to come before the Messiah. John knew that he was there to fulfill Scripture. That's what Jesus knew too. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill all of the prophecies that had been given about the Messiah being a sacrifice for his people. He sent John so that he would fulfill Scripture. Jesus saves us by fulfilling the script, what the Scripture says about him. Jesus, the true light in verse 9, is the original source of light. He came into the world, verse 9 says, to enlighten the world. That's not in some Buddhist sense of enlightenment that makes us uh, forget about all these things in our life. No, what Jesus came to do was to give us knowledge about himself. In this world that is darkened by sin, he came to give, it, give light. Light that would cause our dead hearts to come to life and to see him for the Savior that he truly is. He came to light up our consciences to see the truth of salvation. Through, through Jesus, we are enlightened to the truth of the Scripture, that we are a people in desperate need of a Savior and that He is the one to save us. Verse 10 tells us that what the world's response is to the light of Christ. John says that He was in the world and the world was made through Him, but the world knew Him not. He says the same thing in verse 11. He says that the world Christ made uh, this world that belongs to Him by all rights as its Creator. And it saw Him and it rejected Him. He came to be with His people and they... And we rejected him. The Pharisees and the Jews, we see this all over the Gospels and all over the book of Acts. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was doing miracles. They say it outright. They say, we know that this man is doing miracles. And they reject him and they plot to kill him. They know for a fact Jesus has been resurrected. The Roman guards, right after the resurrection, come to the Jewish officials and they say, hey, you know that guy that y'all crucified? He rose. He's gone. And they say, great. Here's some money. Don't tell anyone. Go tell a lie. They know exactly what's going on with Jesus. They're not confused. They're not, they don't have uh, not all the right information. The evidence couldn't have been clearer. And they still reject him. The evidence is still clear today. And we're in a world that rejects the one who made him. Who made it. Something has to change. That's what Christ came to do, to change it. While he was and is rejected by the majority of the world, 
He came to give something to those that receive him. Look at, look, look at verse 12. It says that Jesus came to give all who receive him and believe in his name the right to become the children of God. That benefit of the offer is dependent on a response. It's only given to those who receive Christ, who believe in his name. Believing in Christ's name means that we believe in everything that he is, everything that makes him who he is. Someone's name in scripture is closely tied to their nature. So to believe in Jesus' name is to believe that he is the son of God, that he is the one who came to earth and lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, and was raised for us. It's to believe in the gospel. It's only through believing in his name that we are able to be called the children of God. That word right means authority. It means to have the ability. It's why Jesus came into the world. We're not naturally children of God. We're naturally people that reject him. And so he came to make us able to be children of God. To get us off of the path to hell, lost in our sins, and put us on a path to be with him forever. Verse 13 shows us how that power, how that authority is given to us by Christ. He tells us that we are not born of blood, meaning that our family connections do not save us. Just as the Jews thought that because they were related to Abraham, they were fine, uh, it doesn't matter if our parents are elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, Christians. It doesn't matter. It doesn't save us. It's not done by our will. Our wills are sinful. We don't naturally want the things of God. We want to think of what will benefit us the most. We don't desire to be the children of God, but to carry out our own sinful passions, the Bible tells us. It's only of God. If you look at verse 13, it says, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's only through God that the new birth comes, that we are made children of God. That's what Jesus came to do, to fulfill Scripture, to give us the true light that would show us our sins and make us able to be the children of God. So as citizens of our country, we have certain rights afforded to us. Um, we, have, we talk about them a lot, whether that's for good or bad reasons. We hear a lot of folks talking about our rights. We learn in school that we have them in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. Uh, that those rights include many things like uh, the freedom of religion, right to assembly, right to bear arms, to a speedy trial, not to bring an accusation on ourselves, and a lot of other things. Now, a right is something that we are afforded by someone or is something, and it's also something that we exercise as well. Uh, as citizens of this country, we're afforded those rights. But we also have to exercise them. You can practice any religion that you want in this country, but we have to exercise that right. You can do all those other things. You can assemble all those things, but we have to exercise those rights, and we have the power to do that. The right to be a God's child is something that's not inherent in us. We are gifted that right by Jesus Christ and by his work. We are able to exercise that right. So are you? Are you exercising the right to become a children, a child of God? Have you come to the knowledge of faith in Christ and believed in his name? If not, then this morning cry out to Jesus in faith. Don't wait. There's no reason to. Cry out to him. Ask him to forgive you for your sins and he will save you. 
If you have, if you've already clung to the crucified and risen Christ, then how are we serving him? John the Baptist is a model of how we should serve Jesus. We should look for specific ways that we can drive people to Christ. Who at work or school can we share the gospel with? Who, uh, who has lost a loved one this year that we can give the encouragement of Christ to? Are there places that the Lord is causing us or calling us to serve in the church or somewhere else that we're being resistant to, that we need to run to instead of away from? May we be able to say with John, he must increase and I must decrease. So we see who Jesus is. We see what he came to do. And lastly, we see how he accomplished his work. Look at verses 14 through 18. John turns his attention to the beginning of Jesus' work. And while there's no birth story in the Gospel of John, there is, this, there is verse 14 that serves as the narrative of Jesus' birth. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, John is drawing on what he said in verse 1, that the Word was God and the Word was with God, and he was in this intimate connection with the Father. John is saying that while Jesus has everything that it means to be God, He has everything that it means to be a human being. That word, uh, the word became flesh, shows that Jesus is perfectly human. That He is a perfect man like Adam was in the garden. The perfect example of humanity. It says that Jesus dwelt with us. That means He tabernacled, or he pitched his tent. John says that to remind us of the Old Testament tabernacle, where the Israelites uh, would would carry it in the wilderness and put it in the middle of the camp. And the glory cloud of God's presence would come down, and it would dwell on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. John says that they beheld the glory of Christ as as one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the perfect tabernacle, the place where God's glory and where God's word dwelled in the Old Testament in and on the Ark of the Covenant. It all points to Jesus. He is the heavenly tabernacle. He has come to be the tabernacle of flesh so that we might see his glory and that he might bring us to the Father with grace and truth. John the Baptist recognizes this in verse 15. He said that Jesus was born after him, that he ranks before him because he was before him. Just very simply, John knows that Jesus existed before he did, that Jesus was around before he was born. He doesn't try to rationalize it. He doesn't try to come up with a nice way to explain away who Jesus was. He just says who he is. He says, this is the son of God and he's greater than me because he's always been here. We, like John, need to recognize who Jesus is, not fit him in a box that makes us feel comfortable or feel warm and fuzzy, but accept him for who he is and who he says that he is. John tells us that from Jesus' fullness, we receive grace upon grace, grace beyond measure. That's what the tabernacle was. It was the place where the people of God would experience grace for their sins. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. When the people would come into the tabernacle and they would bring a sacrifice and they would ask 
the high priest to take the sacrifice and sacrifice it to, for the forgiveness of their sins. It was not the sacrifice that forgave their sins. Hebrews 10.14 says that the blood of goats and bulls can never take away sins. God in His grace looked at that sacrifice, saw that it pointed to Jesus in their faith, and He gave them salvation. He gave them His unmerited favor beyond measure in Christ. So how do we receive this grace? Look at verse 17. It says that the law came through Moses and grace and truth through Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean that the law was graceless. It's often put in opposition with grace. But the reality is that the law of Moses was an extreme and enormous grace to God's people. Without it, we'd have no idea that God is holy. We wouldn't know the weight of our sins, and we wouldn't see our need for Jesus. That's the entire point of the law of Moses, to show that we can't get to God ourselves, and we need a Savior to come and save us. The grace that comes through Jesus is, an, is the answer to emphasize, is the emphasis of the law. You see, the law emphasizes the holiness of God to drive us to Christ. And the grace given in Jesus is the answer for our need for a mediator, for a savior, because the law is heavy on us. The law and the gospel go hand in hand. Without one, the other is incomplete. The gospel is embedded in the law, and the gospel holds up the standard of the law. That's why Jesus gives us grace and truth. He shows us that we were never going to uphold the law, so we need someone who can do it for us. And that person is Christ. John gives us one final confidence in Christ. Look at verse 18. It says that no one has seen God. Throughout the Bible, God shows himself in symbols. He shows up in a flaming pot. He shows up in a burning bush, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, and many other ways throughout Scripture. But no one has seen him face to face. Even Moses, when Moses sees him on the, mount, on the mountain getting the law, he only sees the back of God, not face to face. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, the one who has deep knowledge of him, that is the only one that has seen the Father in that way. And he has come to make the Father known to us. That's Jesus' goal. That's how he accomplishes his work, is to make the Father known. God is not up somewhere far away where we can't know Him. He sent Jesus. He came down and He explained Himself to us. So we all have certain people in our lives that we are closer to than others. We, have, we know them better than anyone else. It could be your spouse, uh, your children, your siblings, your parents. We know the way that they think. We know the way that they would react to certain situations how they grew up and what their family's like and what their little quirks are and, and on and on. We could give you a very good rundown of who they are inside and out as a person. And we could even give you some pretty reliable information, but nothing that you wouldn't hear from them. There's a reason why we have the phrase, get it from the horse's mouth. Because information from someone about someone is usually better than second or third hand information. And in Jesus' incarnation, his coming to earth, we are getting information straight from the horse's mouth. 
Yes, He has spoken by His prophets, and they spoke His very word. But John says in verse 18 that the one who is in the Father's chest, it takes some extreme closeness for someone to lay on your chest. And Jesus is that close to the Father. He is able to lean there and rest there. And it's that closeness that Jesus offers us with the Father. So are we learning from the one who has that close and intimate relationship with the Father so that he could explain him to us? To every idol that we set up, be it sports, sex, alcohol, drugs, success, or spouse, children, whatever, they're designed to give us the closeness that we want to have with God. Our idols wear out and they fall apart because they're not the true tabernacle. They're not the place that we are able to come to and be with God face to face in the person of Christ who gives us grace and truth and so many other things that the world can't give us. You see, idols, they offer us nothing. They constantly take from us. So what idols do we need to smash this morning? What are we using to give us the acceptance and comfort that we crave that only Jesus can give us? Mine and and Mark's favorite professor, uh, Dr. Douglas Kelly, put it this way, and we'll end with this. All that the tabernacle signified by type and shadow in its structure and in its worship was appointed to go on in it. It's brought to a culmination and full reality in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate meeting place of God and man, where sins are put away and loving communion is restored. Are you trusting in Him? Are you relying on Him day in and day out for all that you need, whether you are lost, lonely, whatever? Are we resting in Him? Or are we striving on a lost and lonely road that leads only to eternal loneliness away from God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, again, we thank you for your mercy to us. Lord, we ask that you would come now and that you would bring conviction, that you would bring a change in our lives, that you would bring salvation, Lord, and that you would bring sanctification to us. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts through your word today and as we go uh, from this place. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.